Let's bow our heads to pray. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Our God, you reign forever. Our hope, our strong deliverer. Our God, we pray now that as we come to your word, you would strengthen us in faith for these days. For we ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as Sarah said, we've, taken a, we've, we've kept that reading, but um, taken a different theme this morning. I guess it's true that if we weren't aware of quite how serious the situation in our nation is before Thursday, then the Prime Minister's statement brought it home, didn't it? Let me level with you. We will see loved ones die. It feels as though we're in uncharted territory as far as our own life experience is concerned. But pandemics, plagues, cholera, smallpox, Spanish flu have at different times all been part of human experience. It's not a strange thing in this world that we have a pandemic. They've been part of what God's people have had to cope with over church history. And I'm aiming this morning to look at the Bible to help us not just to survive, but to thrive in this environment as we live distinctively for Jesus because of what we believe. How can we redeem this time of fear and uncertainty as an opportunity to witness to our God, to witness to our Saviour, Jesus Christ? Well, we come to this weekend, don't we, halfway through a sermon series on Exodus. It didn't feel necessary to change the reading. Perhaps God in his goodness has been preparing us as a church for such a time as this. In Exodus, God takes Israel out of slavery in Egypt. He delivers them. But he also takes them out of their comfort zone and into a place of threat and uncertainty, the wilderness. It was not a comfortable place to be. God deliberately leads them into the wilderness, just as the Spirit led Jesus after his baptism into the wilderness, a place of testing. And the wilderness certainly turned out to be a place that at times threatened their lives. To begin with, there was that lack of food and water. Things were tough. They longed for the pots of meat that they'd sat around in Egypt. Whether that was real or fantasy in their minds, I'm not sure. But they longed to be back there. And as we've just heard, God in his mercy provides And for 40 years, they ate manna and quail in the wilderness. God's people learned to trust God in the wilderness in a way that they'd never had to before. When everything else is stripped away, when the comforts and certainties of Egypt are gone, the people are thrown back onto trusting God and reliance on him And what we discover wonderfully is that God does not fail them. It's in the wilderness that God's people truly discover that God is with them and for them, that they are his treasured possession, God's words to them. At Sinai, you are my treasured possession. They discovered that God provides. 
And they discover that walking in obedience to God brings joy and blessing. But one major truth that they also learned is that as they went into the wilderness, God was with them. God travelled with them in a cloud of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. The presence of God with his people made all the difference to them. In Exodus 33, we listen in to this conversation between Moses and God. God says to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence will not go with me, then do not bring us up from here. That is, do not send us out into the wilderness towards the promised land. Because is it not in your going with us that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? What makes God's people distinct? What gives Moses courage as he leads his people in the wilderness is that God's presence is with them. They're not alone. God is not a distant deity somewhere out there that they believe in, but a God who is near. And of course, in Jesus, we have God with us. I am with you always, Jesus says, to the very end of the age. Jesus is with us, his people. So when life gets tough, when we are facing a wilderness experience, when all worldly securities, including health and wealth, are threatened, then we still have the most precious thing that this world can give us. We have Christ. God with us. God in us by his spirit. God for us. One definition I read of anxiety is imagining the future without Jesus Christ. Imagining the future without Jesus in it. But when we realise that Jesus is present with us today and will be present tomorrow, we can find freedom from fear in that. So in terms of this present situation, whatever tomorrow may or not bring, may or may not bring, we face it with Christ. And we can go in the uncertain we can go into the uncertainty of these next few weeks and months, not living in fear, but on the front foot as God's people, living distinctively different lives because we have Christ. You see, Jesus is stronger than our greatest enemies. That's the message of Scripture. Just think of one more wilderness example. In the book of Numbers, we read that the people of God grumble again against God, and God sends poisonous snakes into the camp. Some Israelites are bitten and die. But God provides a solution, a very strange solution, by telling Moses to make a bronze serpent and put it on a pole and tell those who are bitten by it, by the snakes, to look at this bronze serpent on a pole. 
And the people learn that by obeying God, by looking to the provision that he's made for them and trusting in him, they can be healed and they can live. And of course, in Christ, we have the certainty of life. We have the hope of life in the face of death because of the cross and the empty tomb. For many people around us, death is like a great stone that is rolled across our lives, which says the end. Death is it. Death is final. But of course we know, don't we, that Christ has conquered death. The stone has been rolled away to reveal an empty tomb. We are the a people who believe in the resurrection of our bodies. Death has lost its sting. And surely that changes absolutely everything about the way we see life and death. It changes how we see the coronavirus. The coronavirus may well be fatal. It may well bring death for people we know. It may bring death to our own doors, whether it's members of Holy Trinity or our families or our friends. And it will no doubt bring great sadness and tragedy to us or people we know. But let's remember that Jesus Christ has defeated death. That is real. Death is not the end. Listen to these great words of encouragement from Scripture. 2 Timothy 1. Christ Jesus has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to life through the gospel, to light through the gospel. Or in his own words, Jesus says, I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. <clears throat> Knowing Christ means that we know that we're not in the land of the living, moving towards death. We are in the land of the dying, moving towards life and eternity with Christ. I don't know about you, I've read lots of blogs and things about the coronavirus, but I read this just yesterday and I thought this is a wonderful quote. From heaven's shore, we will see how eternally safe we were all along, even amid the global upheaval and anxieties that loom so large as we walk through them. The dangers out there are real. The cautions are wise. Our bodies are mortal, vulnerable. But our souls, for those united to a resurrected Christ, are beyond the reach of all eternal danger. How unharmable we are, we who are in Christ. Be at peace. All is assured. What a wonderful hope we have. Sure and certain because of Christ. Let's look for and pray for opportunities to share this great hope with our neighbours in these troubled times. To tell them what our hope is. In scripture, the right response to a plague, or indeed to suffering of any kind, 
is to let it remind us that this world is not right with God. Things are not as they should be. And we're to turn to him and we're to look to Christ and we're to live. In times of comfort and ease, we forget that, don't we? But in times of suffering and uncertainty, we might once again see people open to hearing the gospel of Christ, the gospel of hope. So let's be people who are ready to share Jesus and the hope we have in him. Well, let's get practical and think about loving our neighbour. Ray said some of this in his uh, words a few moments ago, but it almost goes without saying, doesn't it, that we need to care for one another during these times. And we must care for those who are particularly vulnerable, the elderly, the frail, those who, for one reason or another, have um, compromised immune systems. At Holy Trinity, that means that we must protect and care for our older members. It may well be that many have chosen, perhaps wisely, to stay away from large church gatherings for the, for the moment. And as vicar, I never thought I'd say this, but here I stand in the pulpit and say, I want to give you permission not to come to church. <laughs> Shall I say that again? <laughs> if you fall into that... Jenny's going home. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say that if you fall into that vulnerable category, um, then do feel free not to come to church. Or it may be that you have vulnerable people in your family and you think it wise not to come to a large, to a large church gathering for their sake. But on the other hand, the Bible says, do not give up meeting together. So what do we do about that? Well, there are other ways, aren't there, of meeting together in small groups, in one another's homes, or in ones and twos that will sustain you spiritually and help you to find fellowship during this time. And this week, we will be providing resources for small group worship that you can look with one or two other people at. Maybe members of your home group, maybe somebody that lives near to you, where you can meet together and you can take all the precautions of staying safe that are so much easier to do than in a large group. So again, I'd, I'd echo Sarah's message to make sure that we have your email address and then you can receive this information. But we also need to get practical in terms of caring for our friends and neighbours who might not have families around them to help. If you're not in one of those vulnerable groups, I wonder if you're willing to go the extra mile to share the love and compassion of God in some way. Uh, a friend of ours sent us um, a photograph of a card that had come through her door in her village. Somebody had printed this off and had popped it through various doors in the village. It'd be easy enough to, to do that, wouldn't it? Just write a, a short note to say, is there anything I can do for you, my neighbour, in this time? Christians have a great history, a history should, we should be pleased with of doing this kind of thing. There are wonderful stories told of the courage of early Christians, Christians in the face of death. In the second century, there was a plague 
that killed off somewhere between a quarter and a third of the Roman Empire, which in today's figures would be about two billion people. And in that situation, the church didn't flee. The church stayed around and served. In this book, The Rise of Christianity, um, written by Rodney Stark, the author shows how providing care to people that were stricken by the plague was a major contributor to the growth of the church in those first centuries AD. There were two such plagues, and in both cases, Christians didn't flee, they stayed and served. And you can imagine why that might be the case. Imagine yourself to be someone who had recovered from the plague in those days. And after you had recovered, where would you want to worship? Would you want to go back to the pagan temple whose priests had fled at the first sign of trouble? Or would you want to worship in the house of your Christian neighbour who'd brought you food and water, care and concern at great risk to themselves? That's a challenge and an opportunity for us, isn't it? There is something about an Anglican parish church that says to the people who live around us and live in our parish, we are here among you with the good news of Jesus Christ. We're committed to serving this area and this people. And when this pandemic has passed, what will our neighbours remember of us? Will they remember that members of Holy Trinity took action to protect the vulnerable, to serve our neighbour, possibly even at great personal cost or inconvenience? Will they remember that being free from fear, their Christian neighbours were able to visit the needy, keeping appropriate social distance, providing for their needs and bringing hope? What will our neighbours remember of us when all this is over? And then finally, let's think about moving from self-protection to serving others. You may have seen that clip of shoppers fighting over toilet rolls in an Australian supermarket. It really is something to behold. One woman has taken all the toilet rolls off the shelf and has piled them high in her large shopping trolley. A fight ensues with another woman who'd come to buy toilet rolls and now can't. And when the fight finally breaks up, the woman in need of a toilet roll, says to the woman with the trolley, just one, I want just one of those packs. And the woman looks her in the eye and says defiantly, no, not one. It's a bit of a window into the worst of humanity. Well, that not, might not be typical uh, of our local Tesco, might not be a scene from our local supermarket, but scarcity is causing fear. It's causing people to stockpile. It's actually causing people to steal toilet rolls from our church centre. Can you believe that? <laughs> it's true. Scarcity, even the one that's on the, on the roll. <laughs> Scarcity 
is a mindset that says this, there is not enough to go around and so I'm going to stockpile to make sure that I'm okay. I might then be generous to my neighbours but only if I have enough myself. Well, Jesus teaches us a very different mindset to scarcity, doesn't he? He teaches us abundance. Jesus reveals to us a God who loves to give and to give generously. Look around you, Jesus says. Consider the lilies of the field, the birds of the air, and learn a lesson. Look at the cross and see my love and grace poured out for you. We have a God who calls you and me not to fear, not to worry about tomorrow, saying what shall we eat, what shall we wear, but rather to trust in him, a God of abundance, and to reflect that generosity into the world. Be distinctively mine, God says, by living abundantly and generously and without fear. So here's a challenge for each one of us as, as individuals. Is your mindset at the moment one of scarcity? Looking after myself first and then others if I have enough? Or is yours an abundant, open-handed attitude? An attitude that says, my God has given me everything I need in Christ Jesus. How can I give to others how can I live so that they catch a glimpse of God's goodness and abundance in me in these days? Here's a final quote from a blog. When the economy is tanking, opportunities to surprise our neighbours with our confidence and joy because of the gospel surge forward. Love stands out strongest when it is least expected, when it's rarest but needed most. Whether it's with our love or with our generosity, who might we surprise this week or in weeks to come? In this wilderness journey that we're on, in these uncertain times, let's remember that God is with us and for us in Christ he is stronger than our greatest enemy. He's defeated death. And he calls Christians to be his hands and his feet and his people in the world. Let's redeem this time of fear in our nation's life to speak and to model hope in Christ. Let's live for him. Let's share his hope through our words and our actions in coming days and weeks. Let's be quiet for a moment together. Lord, in this time in our nation's history when things are very uncertain, when there is great fear of loss of health and wealth and even life, May the light of Christ shine brightly in the darkness. And may we be those who shine for him by your grace. Help us to care for one another. Help us to be wise. 
Help us to love our neighbour in the strength that you give. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs)